Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. I have an amazing guest on today. I'm excited for you guys to get to know him better. His name's Stephen Eck. I've known Steve for how long now? I'm going on three years. It's been three years, yeah. Three years, and uh, he's got quite the story as... Um, just like our guests uh, in the past, his is no different. It's it's quite remarkable where he was and how he got out of that and where he is today. And so I'm so excited to have you on. So welcome. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Glad to be here. <laughs> We're here uh, live at Wasatch Recovery, um, 6.15 a.m., bright and early. Ready to rock and roll, start the day. <laughs> yeah, great way to start the day and the week. So thank oh, you yeah. for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. So... Um, let's get right into it. Tell us a little bit about you and, you know, where you grew up, a little bit about your family. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I grew up, um, uh, in like the Taylorsville, West Valley area. Um, I had a single mother. That's in Utah for those of you yeah. that don't live here. <laughs> <laughs> um, had a single mother until I was about four, five. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I spent most of my childhood in Taylorsville growing up there you have brothers and sisters i've got to see two half sisters and one half brother and then i had uh uh two stepbrothers and one stepsister so there was seven of us living in seven seven of us living in a like a like a three-bedroom four-bedroom house okay so were you the oldest youngest middle, middle, middle kind of the middle yeah describe that a little bit i mean seven seven Brothers and sisters in a four-bedroom house. That had to have yeah, been was, pretty tight. It was pretty crammed. It couldn't <laughs> have been no more than a 1,500-square-foot home if that. Um, yeah, so all the girls shared one room, and then the boys shared one room. and Had bunk beds all set up and mm-hmm. no privacy whatsoever. Yeah, I bet. Two showers. <laughs> everyone had to, all, all the kids had to share one shower. But, yeah, it wasn't. It was fun, but, yeah, we all got played a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good little childhood, I guess. <laughs> so, um, you know, I know you because you know we met here at Wasatch, and uh, when you know I met when I met you, that you know you were struggling with a drug addiction and mm-hmm. things like that. Let's get into that just a little bit. And this kind of when did that start uh, for you? Um, when did you start kind of, I guess, experimenting with drugs and alcohol and that kind of thing? Uh, I think I. S- I first started to drink, drink and smoke weed when I was uh, about ten, so like fourth or fifth grade. Um, so how does that start as a ten-year-old? Most ten-year-olds are like watching cartoons, man. Yeah. So uh-huh. what? It was my older brother. He had a. Um, he kind of influenced me a lot. He was always like hanging out with the cool kids and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and um, we just. I remember me and this other kid were out in the back of Savers, just playing in the boxes, and we ran across like five dollar bill and a sack of weed and we were like thought we hit the jackpot like i had like five hundred dollars worth of weed and it was mm-hmm. like a little five dollar bag and so we just took it down there to one of our friends and he knew what to do with it and uh rolled us a joint and started smoking when i was 10 and then i started talking to my older brother about it kind of started from there that's what kind of yeah. gave the fire fuel was so you kind of idolized your older brother mm-hmm. and kind of how he was living. and Yeah. Isn't it funny how, you know, he's hanging around maybe people who are doing drugs and partying and that kind of thing. Yeah. And that is the cool kids. Yeah. Whereas the kids that might be, 
you know, going to school and working hard and doing <laughs> They're not cool. Yeah, no, they're the nerds. Isn't that yeah. funny, though? Yeah. But, but that, it's just funny because that becomes your reality. But the reality of that is that's just not the case. Oh, no. You know? Completely <laughs> false. <laughs> but you buy into that, uh, yeah. kind of that concept and move forward with it. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, they were doing all the fun things and it looked cool to do yeah. and stuff like that. So, so did, uh, obviously, I would imagine you were trying to hide that from your mom. Mom's yeah. still single, or at this point she's remarried? No, or? she's remarried with my with my stepdad. Oh, that's, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So. Did they yeah. know you were doing these kind of things no, at that age? No, okay. No, I I think when they, I think right around the sixth grade is when they knew something was up. Then mm -hmm. I started skipping school in elementary, and at that age they actually call your parents and let you know, hey, your son isn't in school today. Yeah, well, sure. Where the hell is he? Yeah. So I think that's when they had an idea that I was kind of doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing, but. I don't think it was until like at least seventh grade when I was probably about thirteen, when I was really like skipping school and yeah, things were getting yeah. worse and worse. Yeah. So your desire to go to school at that time was just starting to wean. Yeah, I think seventh grade I had a like, what's like thirteen or fifteen percent uh, attendance rating. Oh wow! So <laughs> I was never there. Yeah. I'd wake up and act like I was going to school and. So at this point, your parents you're, were wondering what's going on. Did they know that this had to do with, you know, anything to do with drugs or anything like that at this point? I don't, I mean, I think they knew that I was getting high, like smoking a lot of weed, but I don't think that they really grasped the whole concept of like how intense it really was. So seventh grade was when things kind of, at least your mom and your stepdad started to notice. Yeah. Were you still just doing weed at this point? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I think about 14 is when things started to turn for the worst. Okay, describe that a little bit, like, so what, 14 comes around, what, what grade's 14? I think it's still 7th, se se yeah, 7th or 8th grade. 7th or 8th grade? Yeah, okay. I think it's when I, so around that age, let's see, no, it was maybe about 14 or 15, I actually got into, let me try to think, that was, oh, then that was my, Sophomore year of high school is when things got bad. So it was, I was in ninth grade. Um, that's when like, I, I got expelled from school. I had a concealed weapon um, on school grounds and I had weed on me. So I got expelled from school. Um, yeah, that was the eighth grade. And then they okay. let me come back for the ninth grade year. I got caught with weed again and they just kicked me out completely out of school for the ninth grade year and somehow managed to make it to 10th grade. I don't know how that happened. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and that's when I got into a couple fights, and uh, at the time I was on probation for a beer run, and when that happened, uh, when I got in that fight, that's when uh, my probation officer pulled me from school and put me in a drug rehab, half school, half treatment for the day, so I did that for probably about a year and a half. Okay. So, but once I left there, that's when my dad, my biological father, got out of prison, and I started spending time with him, trying to reconnect. Okay. Um, so let's talk about that for a minute. When, when did your biological dad go to prison, and did you know it in, when that happened originally? Or yeah, he's he's been in and out since I was a kid. So he he'd do good for about two years, go back in, do another nickel, do good for about a year, go back in, do another five. And that's 
been his pattern since I was born. Mm -hmm. So I've never known him. And so right. I think at that teenage year of wanting to kind of like rediscover, reconnect mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And was it you reaching out to him at that time or did he reach out to you? No, he reached out to me. Oh, okay. And so we had a, he had to get it approved through his parole officer and mm -hmm. I had to get it approved through my probation officer. And he was fine at the beginning. We, you know, we'd go out to have like food, go out to dinner and stuff like that. And then it started just to take a bad turn. You know, he started giving me some meth, um, acid, uh, weed. Yeah, I just. Your dad it. was giving that to you? Yeah. How old were you at this point? 14, 14, 14. 15. Yeah, I think I was 14. So was this when you were doing half kind of? Yeah. Treatment. Treatment, half school? But your dad's giving you these kind of things? Yeah. That's yep. interesting. Yep. So. so. <laughs> and at the time, did you think that was a, a great way to connect with your dad? Well, I remember him telling me that, you know, this is what his dad did to help bond with him. And so he thought it was okay in his mind. And me, I just thought it was kind of a cool way, you know, have a parent to get high with and get drunk with. And right. And, you know, it's, it's surprising, you know, when people grow up doing drugs and they go to jail and prison and back and forth, it just kind of becomes normal. I mean, it just becomes normal. Yeah. So maybe for your dad and for you at that time, this is just normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to do some drugs together. We're going to party, and hang, party and hang out. And yeah. at the same time, you're saying, this is I'm connecting with my dad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And vice versa, he's thinking, hey, I'm connecting with my son. Yeah. Obviously a very unhealthy way to do that. Yeah, we thought it was healthy. But it became normal. It was yeah. just normal. Yeah. Right? That yeah. was your world. Someone who's never done drugs... Mm -hmm. Has never been down that would think, um, you know, that's crazy, you know, yeah. but they just, it's just, you know, it's how you're raised. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So this goes on and then you finally, you said you were surprised you made it to 10th grade, meaning you made it to high school. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. At this point you go to high school in 10th grade. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you now out of the treatment uh, that no, you were doing? I'm you're still doing that too? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Still in treatment, and still doing drugs and partying, and mm -hmm. still connecting with your dad at that at this time as well. Yeah, biological dad. Yep. Okay. So. Um. So let's pick up from there. What what happened from that point? So it was probably I finally got clean for I don't even know how long, uh, a few months period, to where they finally you know graduated from that program. Um, you know, I had to stay clean for like three months or something like that. Okay. So, um, immediately from there, um, I, my, well, at that time, my mom was going through her divorce. Um, she was seeing a guy who was in the Air Force, <clears throat> stationed up at a Malstrom Air Force Base in, in Montana. So, uh, immediately leaving treatment from then, I moved to Montana to try and get away from all of it yeah, yeah stuff here so that's what i did and just picked up and moved to montana and, and how old are you at this point uh 16. so yeah. who did you move up there with with my mom's boyfriend yeah oh okay yeah. so um was that uh were you excited about that at the time do you remember i or think I, I was nervous yeah i wasn't you know i i here i kind of built this 
this image and this this person, this lifestyle of who I was, and everybody knew me, and so it was almost like a, a fresh start. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't know how to reinvent myself um, into you know into Great Falls, and so I was just kind of lost, nervous. Yeah. Um, didn't know what to do. I still had all these bad habits that mm-hmm. you know I, I carried with me um, to Montana, and so. Once I got there, I was trying to fit in. Who were the who were the cool kids? Who could I connect with? Uh, tried going for the football team and just uh, fell back in with the wrong crowd again. And I at that point I was like, can I go with like the the high school jocks and play some football, or do I want to go hang out with the stoners down by the river? Yeah. So That's, obviously you picked the stoners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did did you try out for football and didn't make it, or did you start playing it and said this isn't for me? Or no, I I tried out and I made it, and then I was just like, come game time, I was just I didn't, lost, didn't want to have anything to do with it. Rather, rather be partying on a Friday night yep. instead of playing a game or yep. what have you. Okay, yep. rather party than play. So this goes on for a while. How long were you up in Montana? About two years. Um, let's see, yeah. 17, 18, yeah. So I was only in high school for about, I don't know, maybe half the year. Right. So. How are you feeling at this point? Are you, are you, are you sad, depressed? Are you just, what are you? Because typically, at that age, I mean, you're you kind of uproot yourself. You go to Montana, it's completely brand new, trying to fit in. Mm-hmm. You fit in with the wrong crowd. Football doesn't necessarily work out for you. I mean, I mean, how are you feeling? Do you remember? Do you recall? I mean, I remember feeling, you know, alone. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have any like true friends, or my mom and her husband were kind of off in their little honeymoon stage type thing, so they really weren't paying attention. It was kind of like me, myself, and I at this point. Yeah. Um, my, you know, all my siblings were way younger than me, so couldn't really connect with any of them. Um, and it, in fact, my mom didn't even move up there till eight months later. So it was just me and my stepdad. And he's doing his things. And every Friday night, we would drive back from Great Falls to Salt Lake to come spend the weekends here. So every weekend, we were making an eight-hour trip. Right. Come back up. But wow. yeah, when my mom moved up there, that's when it was kind of like the honeymoon stage. And I was kind of like just doing whatever I wanted to do, coming on the home at all hours of the night. There was no parental right. structure whatsoever now I know if, um, I know you're an open book so we're gonna get right into it I mean I know you spent some jail time correct mm-hmm. talk yeah. about that experience um so I've had quite a few DUIs um, I think on this last one not this last one but I think when I got my second one in Georgia I had to do like 60 days um, so I just was that your first time in jail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that's as long as I ever done. Was just uh, in sixty the days. Sixty days. How but, was that experience? Describe that, because I mean, a lot of our listeners, I I think you know, probably haven't been in jail, and you know, yeah. I think our our we imagine what it could be like. But describe that a little bit. Well, when I was a juvenile, I, I actually went to um, the corrections facility here, and mm-hmm. I spent about almost three months there as a juvenile. Really? So, but as an adult. Wonder, I, did you know I used to work there? Did you really? Yeah, I worked there for part time actually for two years. At Decker yeah, Lake. Behind Decker Lake. Yeah. 
No, excuse me. No, I was at the other one. I was at the Salt Lake Youth oh. Detention. Yeah, yeah, I was in, in, in uh, B Block. And, huh. uh, and what's funny, I'm actually uh, speaking at Decker Lake this weekend. So, anyway, it's kind of funny. <laughs> anyway, I was just curious. If, yeah. You, know, you could have maybe have been there when I was yeah, there. Yeah, probably paths. <laughs> yeah. So, you spent three... Like, almost three months there, yeah. Okay. So, I, I kind of knew how it worked by yeah. the time I was in the Because that's pretty similar to jail. I mean, really. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, yeah. you know, you got your You're in a cell. And, yep. Yeah. Yeah, so... I, I don't think it was, like, really eye-opening to me. Like, I didn't have, like, okay. this, like, oh, crap, I'm in jail. I was like, oh, okay. Were you scared? I mean... Not really. I mean, I people think who it... haven't been to jail are probably, man, that'd be scary. Because you hear, you hear these stories that, you know... Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the tough crowd in there is going to beat you up or, you know, Just... abuse you or what have you. Yeah, well, at, at this point, I've already been and gone through the military, so I was kind of like... I didn't really have like this epiphany of like, oh shit, my life just went to crap and stuff like that. I was like, all right, let's get this over with, time it mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, just whatever I got to do to pass the time. Yeah. Um, so after your sixty days, what uh, was that? The last time you went, or did you go again? Or? Well, I've done like a couple one nighters here and there, just mm-hmm. another DUI or something like that. Yeah. So I think I've gotten two <laughs> more since then. Yeah. So. You know, and that and that's a pretty serious thing, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, DUIs are serious. Yeah. Um, for a reason. Yeah. You know, yeah. But I would imagine when you look back on it now, you're probably like, "What? You know, why would I do that? You know, mm-hmm. correct? Just, oh yeah, it's just stupid. This is like I don't, you don't, I don't know, I don't know what was going through your your, your mind at that at that <laughs> point. It was just kind of like, yeah. what was I, what was I thinking? Yeah. I mean, I had plenty of people who could drive. Right. I just wanted to drive my car. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a couple of them I, I blew just barely over, and it was kind of like, come on, cut me some slack. But Yeah, playing the victim, poor yeah. me, this isn't fair. Yeah. But yeah, looking back, I mean, you're probably glad um, in the sense that, you know, maybe that was the beginning of waking you up to trying to get you to change, you know, your life. Well, I, I was looking at it like, this is what my biological father was doing, was just... So you're returning into him, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I think he's got like 14 or 15 DUIs, and wow. I'm going down this same path as him. Mm-hmm. So I think when I got like my third DUI, it was kind of like that scary moment of like, Shit, I'm about to be my dad. Yeah. And that, that kind of started to wake me up. Yeah. How long ago was that? It's been a while, I'm sure. but My last yeah. DUI? Yeah. Uh, it was in 2016, actually. Okay. Shortly after I left here the first time. Yeah. So. Yeah. You came back here twice. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. So, and we just jumped ahead quite a bit right there, but, uh, so let's, and I want to get into that part because it's important. I want to talk about your experience here, but let's, let's, uh, continue. So you're up in Montana. Do you end up graduating from high school up there? Did you end up graduating? Or? No. Well, yeah, kind of. I didn't. I didn't graduate. <laughs> I didn't graduate from high school per se. Um, I actually I was dating a girl, and this was like a turning moment in my life. Um, she was fifteen. I was seventeen, um, and her father found out that we were sleeping together. And in the state of Montana, you had to be sixteen to give consent. 
Um, and so when he found this out, he took her down and got like a rape kit done and all this and that. And so they were formally charged me with like, it's kind of like a statutory rape case, but I wasn't above 18. So, um, it was kind of like a rape and they said, either you stay away from this girl or we're going to pursue with this, with this rape charge. Mm -hmm. And here I am at 17 and it's scaring the shit out of me. So I dropped out of high school, um, to get away from the mm -hmm. separation from this girl and just got a job bag and groceries at Smith's and then got on the next list, um, to start military school. Um, so I, I think I had like eight months to go. So I was just working and partying and not going to school, just waiting to go to military school. And that's what happened. So I went cool. there and I was there for, I think, eight months. Graduated with my GED. So talk about the military school. Was that How was that experience? The, terrifying. Yeah. It, it actually scared the crap out of me. And I didn't ever, I don't think any... It, in any of our dreams, where I think it was going to be that bad. And here it was, like, the middle of the hottest month of the year, and we're sleeping in these run-down barracks and getting yelled at 24-7. I was like, I was not mentally prepared for that at all. Right. So, but it, as time went on, it got easier. They, you know, laid off a little bit, weren't so harsh. Um, but we, you know, did our schoolwork, did military drills, Worked out every single morning. I think at five o'clock in the morning, lights up and start working out, do some runs and push ups, and right. go shower, get ready to start the day at school. And you were there for eight months, and I'm assuming roughly. you were clean that whole time. Cause yeah, you play, yeah, you have to be. Yep, yep. Right? Well, yeah, we we s s lived there, we lived there, and it was all like complete structure. And so I was I was on a straight and narrow until I. Went on like a two day pass, I think, for like Thanksgiving or something like that, and um, went balls to walls that night. Or when I got back home, and <clears throat> it was horrible, horrible night. My mom couldn't wait to take me back. Yeah, but <laughs> so, so you had your first little taste of freedom, and you yeah, went right back to your old behavior. Yeah, ended up in the hospital. Uh, yeah, broke a beer bottle over my head and. Got into a fight with my parents. Yeah. Yeah, I ended up in the hospital. And... Well, so, I mean, you're doing all this stuff, but let's kind of go back. Can you can you remember a belief you had about yourself or the world that just kind of held you back? You know, you know, we talk a lot about yeah. that here at Wasatch. Your belief systems kind of dictate the way you behave. Yeah. What, uh, can you think of a belief that you had that you struggled with? I, I think I... I really wanted to be accepted and I really wanted someone to like pay attention to me and just like I think I think as a, even as a child I was like you know it was never enough you know like I always was screaming for attention inside and like I just wasn't this person um I wanted to be accepted by my family I wanted to be accepted by all my friends and just I just don't think that I could amount to being worthy. Mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't I wasn't worthy of, of of being this great kid, and so I think when I had this belief that I wasn't worthy or good enough yeah. for my parents or 
or anybody. I, th- I think that I was lashing out to try and get this attention. Like, yeah, look at me, you know. Yeah, and you know, and, and it's funny you say that because you know I've been doing this a long time, and I would say that's the number one limiting irrational belief that we pick up mm-hmm. as we grow up is that we just have this belief we're just never quite good enough. Yeah, and then what we do is we overcompensate in certain areas, and a lot of times, in your case too, especially, is you you, you overcompensate in these unhealthy areas. You'll do anything to fit in. You'll yeah. do anything to kind of be connected to something or someone. Yeah. Despite that it's <clears throat> something negative and harmful and to the point where, you know, you, you're losing these relationships, you're going through some things, um, you go to, you know, youth detention for three months, and then you end up going to getting several DUIs and that kind of thing. And yeah, I mean, it's just interesting how your behavior mirrors that belief. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm always fascinated about that, how powerful our beliefs are, yeah, just, good or bad. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so in the bad case, it led all the way up into my adulthood, my yeah. adult life. Yeah. You hold, yeah, we hold on to mm-hmm. those, you know, they're just there. It's, yeah. it, they become automatic like breathing. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. so why don't we jump ahead just a little bit? Let's. So what what happened? Kind of lead up to what happened to get you here to Wasatch. Wasatch, uh, that was what three years ago. I came in November. Your first time. November of twenty fifteen was my okay my first stint in rehab. <laughs> yeah, so you come here, and <laughs> I remember. I'm gonna just be honest. Uh, <laughs> you were very defensive. Yeah. You uh, we. We tore you to shreds, dude. I remember that. Yeah, we... Briefly. Yeah. <laughs> Even on your goodbye. Yeah. You know, we um, we tore into you. I want to talk about, you know, when you left here, you connected with a guy that was here too. I don't want to use his name just out of respect. Mm-hmm. But he ended up passing away. Yeah. Right? In your apartment or his yeah, apartment? my apartment. Your yeah. apartment. So, anyway, you leave here. And, and we knew when you left here, you were... You weren't done. Oh, no. I, you weren't done. No. And that's why we tore India, because we're like, you know, you're you're being defensive. You didn't surrender. Yeah. You're not being vulnerable. You're lying. All these things, all these addict behaviors, you never changed. And that's why we said, well, you're going to go right back. And you're like, nope, I'm done. Yeah. So you end up leaving. So, sorry, I kind of yeah. shared that story for you. <laughs> no, you're good. So you leave here and you connect with a guy and... uh you know, he ends up, you know, passing away. He overdoses in your apartment. Yeah. If I remember right. Yeah. And weren't you the one that found him? Yeah. 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 Describe that just a little bit and like was, and I'm just curious if that was kind of also like a wake up call. Like, man, I better get my life going here. Or, at, at that moment, it wasn't like, oh crap, I got to get my crap together. Mm-hmm. It was just like, it fueled more for me just. It, it didn't hit me until later on, and okay. it turned out to be a like a true blessing, just like in itself, like. Okay, but in the beginning, you were just like, "I'm gonna keep going hard." Yeah, yeah. At the time, I felt solely responsible for for his death, so I, I was carrying this this guilt and shame, and it was it was heavy, and it, I didn't know how to express it. I didn't know what to do about it, um, who to talk to. Um, I, I felt really isolated in myself and I just in a sense I, I felt like I just wanted to die mm-hmm. like I just I didn't want to continue with this with this shame and this guilt because I 
you know, in, in my eyes, I felt like I may as well have given him the, the hot shot, you know. Um, I was enabling mm -hmm. him right. completely to go out and, and use, you know. I was taking him to the block. We were using yeah. together. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that could have been you. Easily. You know what I mean? Easily. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't... But after he he passed, I, I just kept on... I went even harder. Yeah. It wasn't until... Uh, I became an IV user um, was that defining moment of like I'm, I'm, I'm about to die like this is turned for the worst and I gotta make a choice at this point which way am I gonna go because I didn't I, I, I wanted to live a full life the mm -hmm. way that he didn't get to and so I wanted to make this change um, because I was going downhill real quick, right? And it was it was going fast. Yeah, um, and that's what led you coming back here again. Yeah, correct. Mm -hmm. Which was a completely different. Yeah. Because at this point, you are, you want it. Yeah. Before yeah. you pretended you wanted it. Yeah. I think and it was... we get this a lot here at Wasatch. Yeah. People come in, they pretend they want it, and we can yeah. see right through that. One foot in the door. And... Yeah, you're ready. Yeah, yeah. and then. But the second time you come in here, you're you're being vulnerable, you're surrendering, yeah. you want it, you're being honest, yeah, uh, and you're we're willing to face your irrational beliefs and your behaviors that were very unhealthy and taking responsibility for it. Yeah, you know, I one of the things uh, I really believe this that when when we avoid responsibility. We keep experiencing repetitive pain. It just keeps yeah. happening. The moment we take full responsibility mm -hmm. of our lives and, and the mess that's been created and realizing we did that. Yeah. You know? Until that's you. when you can finally work through it. it. It's painful still, but that's how you get past that repetitive pain. That's when pain stops, is when you take full responsibility. Yeah. And that's kind of what I saw in you, um, you know, as you were getting ready to leave the second time, you just had a different aura about you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It was definitely made that choice to just, this is... Did people in your life, you know, Darcy and, you know, other people who know you, do, could they see a difference? I don't think right at the beginning. I think they were... Skeptical. <laughs> yeah, because I've I've done this before. You know, I'm, I'm, I could be very manipulative. Yes. And so I think a lot of people were really standoffish, waiting to see how this would turn out. So mm -hmm. when I went into sober living and started doing the program even more, um, I just yeah. I just went. I think it was probably after six months of sober living is when I people started to like kind of all right maybe yeah. he's really doing it. Really doing this. Cool. Yeah. Great. And how long, how long has it been now? How long have you been clean? Uh, almost, well, just a little over a year and a half. Yeah. Downside to two years. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you shared some pretty heavy things in this uh, podcast uh, for the listeners, but know that uh, drugs and alcohol, I mean, this is a no-brainer, but it just leads to doing very unhealthy things. Um, so here you are now. Who... Who in your life, you know, or, I mean, we talked about this before we came on air here, you know, people you look up to that maybe give you some inspiration, you know, and 
maybe at the time you were looking up towards your dad just because you were trying to connect with him and you were doing yeah. whatever. If he's doing drugs, I'm going to do drugs with him to connect. Mm-hmm. You know, to but get that acceptance. Who, who do you look up to, and why, and and what? Who's helping you now, even, and that kind of thing. It's a lot of people here at Wasatch. Uh-huh. Um, yourself, Polly, um, Kurt, Mark, and Jeff. I mean, yeah. James. They're just like such great people in here, and just like they. I think even coming through the first time you seen that there was no judgment between anybody. Right. Everybody was pretty accepting of, of all your faults when sure. you're coming through these doors. And so seeing this, like, being, this person who's coming in here broken and just seeing these people who were just, had this great mentality and this, this high energy, just a great place to be, and it's just like looking up to these people and just, I want to be like that. I want to have that positive energy in my life. And just, it's just a remarkable thing was like come in here and have our sessions with you and yeah. Polly. Polly helped me out tremendously when I was coming out. Well, I would imagine you kind of see this group of people that are doing well, who, like you said, aren't judging you. I mean, we mm-hmm. we laughed at your belief system. Oh yeah, I thought it was hilarious, <laughs> right? And that that comes across in the beginning probably a little harsh. Like, why are they laughing at me? Yeah. But we weren't laughing at you as an individual. We were laughing at what you were saying and believing. Like, do you hear what you're saying? Yeah. You know, but I would I would imagine that it's inspiring in the sense of seeing these people who aren't judging you, who really are trying to push you in the direction so you can live a, you know, not only just being clean, mm-hmm. but happy. Yeah. You know, there's a huge difference. You can be clean and miserable. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So you seem pretty happy now. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. So what's, what's the belief system you have about yourself now? You know, I just... I... I, I I think this belief that I have, like, I am perfectly fine the way I am, mm-hmm. no matter what my faults are, or, mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of have that mentality where I don't need the acceptance from other people. I, I think I have enough people in my life who care, mm-hmm. and they're the ones who really matter to me, and what their, what their opinions are of me, then those ones are the ones I really care about. So I have this belief that I'm just... You know, I kind of wake up happy every day. Um, I try not to focus on those those negative things in my life. Yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm yeah pretty easy peasy every morning, every day, and just <laughs> yeah. I, I I have this belief that I'm just like this this good person in my, that I am a, that I've turned into yeah. this person I'm becoming. Yeah, you're not your past. Yeah, I mean, our past molds us to a certain degree. Obviously, I get that, and. You know, we are, we have this philosophy here at Wasatch, and we talk about it, and I talk about it with my clients every day, is that life happens for you. Yeah. You, know? you went through all of this hard stuff, but it led up to you being who you are today. Absolutely. There's an old saying out there, the greater the sinner, the greater the saint. <laughs> right? You'd <laughs> be a pretty damn good saint by now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, you were in the depths of this, you know, you could say it this way to the the, the greater the darkness, the greater the light. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been in that dark world, and now, and, and I know you're you're still improving, you're still working on you, trying to, but that light now in your life is growing, and mm-hmm. it's getting brighter and brighter every day. Yeah. And, uh, but you wouldn't be experiencing that or appreciating that had you not been no, in the depths. Absolutely not. Right? No, I don't think I would be holding any of this to value had I not gone through the way that I, or yeah. gone down the path that I've gone. Yeah, for sure. 
But so it was like, yeah, twenty something years of just dragging my face through the dirt, you know, <laughs> right. all this self-afflicting yeah. stuff that I've put myself through. But now, sure. I mean, at this point in my life, it's just it's it's only up from here. I'm just, right. Yeah. So tell tell our listeners what are you what are you doing now? Where do you like where are you working and kind of what is your what does your day look like? Oh, wake up about five thirty every morning, brush my teeth, get ready to start the day. Um, always stop at a gas station, get some donuts, and <laughs> gotta have off. a donut, right? Yeah, get, the, have... get the day to go <laughs> off right, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I just head up to I'm working up at Alta Ski Resort as a as a pipe welder. Um, okay. So I, I managed to get on with the local 140 pipe fitters plumbers union um which was kind of a difficult way to get in but i managed to, to work myself into it and um you know it makes pretty good money and right doing what i do uh you enjoy it i actually love welding you know yeah. the, the the hard intense labor does get to me now that i'm getting a little bit older um i could feel it but <laughs> um <laughs> I actually like I love watching my work grow and what it becomes and so when you're looking at a finished product you're like yeah I built that that's gonna do all of this for this this whole building you know yeah. it's just it's pretty cool to, to see your work what, yeah. what, what, what it's become and so it's awesome yeah very cool man well um, I asked you before we started to to maybe kind of kind of come up with a, a challenge for our listeners that uh, Maybe it's something you've been doing or whatever, but uh, maybe kind of talk about that for a minute, a challenge you can give us. Uh, yeah, that kind of what we talked before was that, that power of choice was the, the big defining moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like choose to, to make that your like intent, just 100%. Just like if you're going to choose to do this, go and do it. So like, if you know, for me it was at this defining moment in my life where I made this this choice, this power of choice of just saying, that's it, I'm done. I'm either, I'm gonna die in the next couple of weeks or I can make this choice right now to to make this change. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely challenge people to make this, this, this choice to, you know, whether they wanna lose weight or they wanna somehow better themselves in yeah. some sort of way, make that, instead of teetering, you know, kind of like, oh, do I want to do it? Do I don't want to do it? And just make that choice and just yeah. run with it. Just do it. I love that. That firm decision, right? Yes. Yeah, you know, it's something you and I talk a lot about in our sessions is we have the dignity to choose. Mm-hmm. I always say this, choice is the ultimate power. It is. It really is. It is. And you think about it, when it comes right down to it, the reason why you're clean right now is because you chose it. Yeah. You know, you, ma- you made that decision. You finally said, I'm done. Yeah. Right? And... Um, I think we take for granted, I think we take for granted how powerful that gift that we have is that we get to choose. It goes yeah. back to when you were taking full responsibility for the mess you created in your life. Mm-hmm. But now you're, yeah. but now you're also fully responsible for all the good things that's going yeah, on. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. I mean, and I'm able to get some of that back, you know, coming through here. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. So you, you, st- you also work here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you've been how long you've been working here now? I think a year. A year. Wow. Cool. I think it was just a year this month. And then you're getting married. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a huge one for me. Yeah. Wow. 
It's uh, getting married, everybody. Holy cow. That's a huge So when, when's that? Uh, two weeks. Let's see. It'll be 12 days. So not this Saturday, but the following Saturday, the 4th. Wow. So That's awesome. Yeah, that, it's a, a big thing for me because I've struggled with yeah. commitment or right, sure. just, you know, stuff like that. So I'm excited that I'm able to do this now yeah. in my life, that I, I'm not, I don't have that fear. Yeah. So that's awesome, man. I'm super excited. That's, well, congratulations to you on that. That's really cool. Thank you. Um, and congratulations on just your life right now. Um, I'm not kidding you. I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't give you much of a chance when you came through the first time. Yeah. I mean, and again, it, it was proven, not in the sense that uh, I have, you know, we have to be right, but we just knew that because of the way you were being, mm-hmm. that it wasn't going to go very well. And we're glad that you didn't die and glad that you figured this out and came back and, and made that decision. And, yeah. And to see how well you're doing now is really cool. It's a good turnaround from <laughs> yeah. what I was to what I am. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing, and I know there's always room to grow, including myself. There's always room to grow and be better, and oh, absolutely. I'm trying to do that every day as well myself. Yeah. But uh, I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart yeah. for being on this podcast with me. And Thanks for know, having me. It's great to see you change that belief from I'm not good enough to that I am good enough and I can do mm-hmm. whatever I set my mind to. Yeah, you know, I absolutely. love that. And, and it goes back to that decision again, right? The power of choice. Yeah. yeah. So... There truly is nothing wrong with you. No, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I thought there was. <laughs> cool, man. Anything else you'd like to end with or add? No, I'm good. That we leave out. Well, again, thank you. And uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. I want to thank you also for just your support. Um, this is a great uh, episode for anyone who you know who's struggling, who um, is doing drugs or alcohol or been going back and forth into jail. And, you know, Stephen is is living proof Mm -hmm. that you can truly turn it around. I mean, if if you guys knew him and you looked at his rap sheet, so to speak, right, you'd (laughs) think this guy doesn't have a prayer. He's not going to change. Nothing's going to happen. But he truly has. And uh, so thank you so much for being on. And I'm grateful that I that I've been a small part of your journey. Thank you. appreciate it. Okay. Glad to be here. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.